and you can live a curiosity-driven life that never sews itself together into something that looks like what the champions of success would tell you that a championship successful life looks like. But it will be a really good life and it will be a really nourishing life and it will be a life that looks like you. And that to me feels like the highest attainment. Welcome to the Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire series on the For the Love podcast. Oh, lucky you, because today we talk with author and actually human being extraordinaire, Elizabeth Gilbert, about how embracing curiosity moved her from fear to fierce. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker is here, your oh-so-happy hostess of the For the Love podcast, and I really am today. Like, welcome to this amazing show today. We are wrapping up our series, which my heart cannot contain it. For the love of being fierce, free, and full of fire, we obviously packed this series in celebration of my latest book and not really the book, but everything inside of it, all the ideas inside of it. We as a team went, who can we have on the show who in so many ways embody the work? They embody this sort of sense of like liberation and living beautiful, free, vibrant lives. And thus, you've got this whole incredible series loaded up right there on your phone. Like, I hope you have not missed a single one. I I don't know if we've ever done a better series. And so I can't think literally of a better teacher to help us put a bow on this beautiful series, because today we are talking to one of the premier examples, premier of living truly fierce, free, and full of fire. My guest today is the incomparable Elizabeth Gilbert. You know her, of course. Liz, just a, she's special, right? Just incredible, like, you know, award-winning writer, of course, of fiction and nonfiction. I mean, she's one of the greatest writers of our time. That is without question. She's best known as the author of Eat, Pray, Love, which has changed and inspired millions of people around the globe. Millions. Whether you're not a creative or not, you should 100% pick up her book called Big Magic. I tell her this in the show, but I underlined almost every single sentence in the entire book. One of our best guides to show us how to let go of fear and instead make decisions for ourselves and our lives and the people that we love based on curiosity. That's my favorite part of our whole interview today. If your shoulders are up in your ears today, if you are anxious, if you are worried, if you are still like shoving and cramming yourself into these preformed spaces, this is going to be the greatest hour you're about to spend. I am telling you, this is going to relieve you. This is so soothing. Liz's voice is so important. And I told her this too, but she lives in integrity and I know it. I know that whatever she is saying is always sincere. You can tell when somebody is living like that and she is. She said a couple of things to me over the course of this interview that I just kind of had to sit still with. At one point, I won't tell you what we were talking about, but I wrote it down right here next to me. She said to me, she was being really, really generous to something I was disclosing. And she said, Jen, I don't need you to have this thing fixed. And my throat closed. I grabbed my pen and I just wrote that down because it was such a gentle thing to say to me at the right time. I'm just telling you today is a day you're going to be happy that you showed up 
for the For the Love podcast. And so honestly, with great joy, I am so glad to share my conversation with the irreplaceable Liz Gilbert. I um, just said this to you, and I can't mean it more, that I'm trying to think of a more lovely, wonderful voice to bring to my community right now, and I can't think of one. So I'm so happy to welcome you, Liz. I'm glad you're here. Thank you so much for saying that. I'm glad I'm here too. (laughs) And I'm very touched to hear you say that. I'm happy to be here. I'll bring whatever I've got for you. (laughs) I know that you will. And I know that that's what you do. Give us a little update first on how you are and where you are and what your days look like right now and what's kind of giving you fuel and life and hope. Well, that's pretty simple. I'm doing really well. I've got this little house in rural New Jersey. It's an old church that I bought 15 years ago on Craigslist. It's crazy. (laughs) And um, it's this tiny little chapel turned into this little tiny house in the country. And it's exactly the right place to be during a time like this. So I'm here by myself and I've actually been well. I'm well in my mind. I'm used to a lot of solitude, I think, as a writer. And also I've sought that out a lot in my life, you know, as a meditator and also just to try to learn how to befriend my own mind. I've spent a lot of time in isolation (laughs) and navigating my own mind. So to me, I'm pretty comfortable with this. You know, of course, my heart is tender for what the world is going through, but I'm not anybody that anyone needs to be worrying about right now. Like, I'm good. I'm really happy to hear that. I am here in this little house. We have an old house. It's built in 1908. It's very small. And we have five kids and four of them are here. And I'm just like, it's a lot of humans. It's a lot of human beings. (laughs) I have to say, somebody said to me the other day, a friend of mine who's a therapist said, all my clients who are in solitude are desperately lonely for human company. And all of my clients who are in isolation with their families are desperate for solitude. And I said, actually, I'm alone and I'm pretty happy. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much know what I have here. Um, All my friends with their kids and I'm like, oh my God. God, how are you surviving this? Right, right. How because you managing, you know, their disappointment and their loss and their frustration. I have, of the four kids that are here of my five right now, two of them are seniors. I've got a senior in college and a senior in high school. So they're just like, you know, WTF world. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah shouldering Aww. kind of their disappointment too is such a bummer. But I'm so happy to hear that you're well. And I just knew that you would be. And I thankful for what you're going to sort of say to us today. We're in a series right now on the podcast called For the Love of Being Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire. And it's largely about how women find the gumption to finally stop believing the whole like identity and stereotype we were handed. You know, we all know what it is. I knew what it was before I got out of kindergarten about who we were supposed to be, definitely what we were supposed to look like, all of it, and setting it all aside and just being absolutely true and genuine. I mean this as sincerely as I possibly could. You are one of our best teachers about being a fully integrated person. I just know when I watch you and listen to you and read everything you have to say that you are living in integrity. I know it. Every word out of your mouth, I can tell. And so I wonder if we could just start there, what that looks like to you, what that means to you. Why are you good at this? Why does integration seem to come really naturally to you? I would just love to hear your thoughts 
on that because I think a lot of women listening today are in some state of disintegration, of course, which is very, very normal. And anyway, I just love to hear your leadership on that. Thanks for saying that. I feel very honored. <laughs> I started laughing a little bit in the middle when you said, you know, why does it come easily to you? And I just felt my, I was starting to laugh because I was like, oh, it hasn't come easily, <laughs> but it has come. It has come. And I think that it's come. I think that integrity has come to me because it turned out that I was so terribly, disastrously bad at living out of integrity. And by that, I mean, it breaks me and I die. I really do feel like I only have to switch. I'm like a toggle. I really only have two settings and it's either thriving or tanking. <laughs> yeah, there's really not a lot of middle ground. I'm 50 and, and the thing I've learned in my life is like the tanking starts instantly as soon as I'm on the wrong path, instantly. And it's a fast tank. I really collapse. I get sick. I'm suddenly sobbing in the middle of the night. I can't sleep. I can't eat. My whole being shuts down. And I now think of that as a really great gift because as soon as it, my whole being starts to shut down, I know that I've taken a wrong turn. It's a navigational tool. And I just have to abruptly pull the brake and be like, oops. <laughs> oh, I thought this was a doorway to paradise and now I'm in hell. <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, sorry, my misunderstanding. I thought I wanted A. And it turns out, and the only way, unfortunately for me, that I can find my integrity use is often by going in the wrong direction and starting to tank until I correct the course. So it's not an easy, I wish there was a gentler practice that I could do it for, but it really has to kind of be tested out in the real world, in real time, on my actual being, on my actual body. I and really that's where appreciate I find you out. saying that because I'm thinking about the woman listening who is so deeply inside the space of essentially you know, reading the room and giving it what it wants, that she doesn't yet know to trust her own body. That's something I've learned in my 40s is that maybe more than any other entity on earth, my body is 100% team gin. She always tells me, she always steers me right. She always sends up the warning signals. She's never wrong. But we just weren't taught to trust ourselves, to trust our instincts, to trust our intuition, to trust our gut, even to trust our physical bodies when they are saying, you know what, I'm just going to get sick until you listen to me. And so I appreciate that you are able to link for us so clearly. Some of those warning signs mean something. <laughs> they mean something. They're signals to us to get back into integrity. And that instantaneously switchover is so reassuring. What was your decade when you felt like that went from a loose idea or even an aspirational hope to something you were able to put into fairly regular practice? I think I'm just starting, honestly. It takes a really long time to figure out how to navigate a human life. I think of it this way, that we're dropped into these bodies we're dropped into this gender, which may or may not be one that you're comfortable with. You're dropped into a family of origin. And, you know, there's that moment where you're like, really, this family? <laughs> like, Yeah, totally. What? That's real. You know, you're dropped into a particular culture, a particular moment in history, a particular system. And you're basically let loose on this world. Like, okay, good luck. You know, with all of your weird engineering, your talents, your mental illnesses, your likes and dislikes, your nature, 
your nurture, all of this stuff happens. And then the task is to figure out how do you operate this thing? How do you operate this system? And the very first guess for most of us is do what they say. That's for me because I'm a pleaser. I think there's a different kind of personality. Like my partner, Rhea, had a very different instinct, which was from the very beginning, give them the middle finger and do exactly the opposite of what they say. And that led her to a whole different kind of suffering, you know? But yeah, for, that's right. But for people like me and sounds like like you, I mean, it's a good guess, right? A good guess is do what you're told and make people happy and then you'll be all right. And my God, I certainly did enough research in that category to find out that that didn't work. And it had almost at times really literally almost cost me my life. It takes a minute, you know, it takes decades to learn how to do it. And I just very recently ended a relationship that I was incredibly excited about that I had dived into with the greatest of joy and then had to do a course correction very swiftly. There's also like a relationship I've established with a voice inside of me who it's a friendship. You know, it takes a very long time, I think, also to learn how to create a friendship towards yourself. Self-love is a term that gets bandied around a lot, but I feel like it's it's very out of reach for a lot of people and very surreal almost. Most of us are good at being friends to others, the people who we really love, like a friendly sense of stewardship towards yourself and a sense that I've got Liz and for whatever reason, the universe put her in my hands to take care of it. And I like to think that they gave me her because they thought I could. They thought I could take care of her. And I've come this far with her. I'm not going to roll her under the bus now. (laughs) You know, we've been through a lot together. And so, you know, just the sense that if I don't look out for her, no one's going to. And I just had to, at some point, this little voice inside of me and while I was in this relationship said, please get me out of here. Please get me out of here. And I've heard that voice before and made her stay. Totally. Made her stay in a job, made her stay in a relationship, made her stay because no, we've said we were going to do this and we're already in here this far. And the minute I heard that voice, and I mean the minute she said, please get me out of here. The person who I was with had like gotten up to get a glass of water. And by the time they came back, I was sitting on the edge of the couch saying, I just want to let you know that this relationship is over. Oh, you mean that minute. I mean that minute. And I haven't wavered from that because she's my responsibility, right? And when that little one inside of me says, I'm dying here and I'm not getting what I need and I don't want to stay, I just don't question her. And I said to her, I want to get you right out of here. I'm going to get you right out of here, sweetheart. And it's going to take a minute because I got us in here really hard. It's going to be some stuff to undo, but I'm okay. I'm a 50 year old woman. I can do it. I'm going to get us out. I'm going to get us both out of here right now because you're my priority. And that's something I didn't know until very recently. Oh, that's so good. Oh my goodness. That is bearing in my bones. When I, I think about you and you've been so generous with the rest of us with your life and with your story, with what you're learning, with where you're at. And because of that, because most of us have been with you for some time now, we've gotten to kind of watch you walk through different seasons of your life and different iterations of who you were in that place and in that time and what you were learning and what you were seeing. And so I am curious, what does this right now, this season of life look like for you? And so inside of that, what are your highest values and how are you working or wanting to make sure that those show up in the world right now? What a big question. Thank you for that. I think there's two levels to it. So one is my intimate relationship with myself. And in that, I include my relationship with divinity, you know, which I, I don't really separate out 
too much from my relationship with myself. And that's a season for me of solitude and recovery, restoration of dignity, and really feeling like I need, want, and deserve a long season alone. And not in a way that feels like loneliness, but in a way that feels like a restoration project of self. Because I've given a lot of myself away to a lot of people over the years. And that's okay. Those are choices that I made then, and there was much to be learned and loved in that. But it's now not that time anymore. And I don't know how long that's going to last, and I'm willing to go as long as it needs to. (laughs) So there's that. And then on the social level, in terms of my sense of obligation to the world, there's an understanding that I'm not going to be able to read accurately what my obligation to the world is if I'm not steady in my own mind. You know, I often find myself with people saying, just give me a minute here. So for instance, what's happening right now with the coronavirus is that all the really creative and kind of initiative driven people that I know are reaching out to me and saying like, I'm doing this in response to it. We want you to be part of it. I do. I'm doing that. And we want you to be on this. And I've been finding myself able to say, slow down for me. Your pace is terrific for you. This is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. And I'm not going to react. I'm not going to do an off the hip reaction. I want to make sure that I choose my reaction because three months from now, six months from now, I still want to be stable. So, you know, give me a moment, you know, and like I'll come. So there's things I'm joining and other things that I'm not. And I think I'm trusting my role a little bit more that my role is storyteller and to share what I have, sharing whatever I've learned and also resource-wise sharing whatever I've got. <laughs> That's I love the phrase, I store my grain in the belly of my neighbor. It's an Indian expression. It's so beautiful. And I'm figuring out what is the most effective way for me to store my grain in the belly of my neighbor. And that grain is not just money and resources, although it is that. It's also you know whatever I've learned for emotional health because a few people are going to suffer physically from this virus a much higher number are going to suffer financially and economically and a massive uncountable number are suffering already emotionally. Those are the ones who I want to talk to, you know, like give me your anxious people (laughs) and give me your, like give me the people whose minds are in trouble right now because that's a realm I've spent a lot of time with. You're my people. You're my people. Let's be real. Right now, we all need a fun way to momentarily check out from the rest of the world for a minute or two of mindless fun. It's okay to admit that we have these little games on our phones that can bring us a tiny piece of respite, right? Okay, (laughs) I have found the most fun game on my phone and it is called Best Fiends. Best Fiends. It is a fun puzzle game and there's nothing else like it out there. I can just hop on there for a bit, right? And turn a few different gears in my brain solving these puzzles, which I secretly kind of love. Plus, Best Fiends updates the game every single month with new levels. So you're not going to run out to the end of it. It always stays fresh. Plus, it's just bright and cheery, which is honestly what I need a few minutes every day right now. So Engage your brain with fun puzzles. And trust me, with over, guys, 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Like 100 million people cannot all be wrong, right? So download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or on Google Play, right? That's it. It's friends without the R. Best Fiends, okay? All right, back to our show. 
I'm so glad that you are in this particular series because over the last handful of years, I have been reevaluating my place in the world and the way I want to use my voice in it. I've been watching very carefully for several years women who are doing life well, who are living authentically, who are living in integrity, which is why I've been paying attention to you for years. And one of the many reasons why I really listen and look to you is this invitation that you've given us. It was something that you wrote in Big Magic, which I honestly think that I underlined every line in the whole book. I I think I just underlined the whole thing and I should have just skipped the exercise. It meant so much to me when you released it. But one thing you said inside Big Magic was that to live a life that is more driven by curiosity than fear. I literally cannot explain to you how much that North Star has been a part of my personal work the last few years. Can you talk about that idea for a moment? It's not easy. That's not an easy thing to do. How do we even just begin to peel back the power that fear has over us and rather choose to expand our worlds through curiosity? And also, I'd love to hear why you think that is such a challenge, particularly for women and what the roadblocks are there. Yeah, well, as you say, it's not easy to live a curiosity-driven life. But the reason I offered it up as a possibility is because I think it's a lot easier than living a passion-driven life or a purpose-driven life. (laughs) And if there's nothing else that I can offer to women, it's to just spare yourself from those two words. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) they're brutal and they are shaming. And look, if you happen to be living a passion and purpose driven life, then you have what I like to call not a problem and I'm not concerned about you and you're fine. Just keep continue to do what you're right, doing. Scroll on. Yeah, roll on. You're good. I can't wait to take your seminar. But you know, a lot of people, this has been me at times have struggled to figure out passion and have struggled to figure out purpose. And those two words, along with another word, balance, oh my God, that's another word that I think is used as a weapon, a cudgel for women to beat themselves up with. Just more words that show you that you're not doing it right. That there's some particular way that you're supposed to be living and you're not doing it right. And I often think of this, I think, you know, if I were to tell you that you were born with one special gift and one special purpose that you were supposed to bring to the world and that your job on this earth was to uncover what that purpose was and then to nurture it and to grow it with your talents and then to share it with the world and then to monetize it and then to make the world a better place because of that. That's pretty heavy. How many hives did you just get? How much anxiety does that make you feel, right? Yet that's literally the cultural message that every graduation message is, every, you know, like this is what we're being sold. We're being sold that that is what a life is. And all it does, even telling you that it made my body had an anxiety reaction. What I love to do is kind of liberate people from, from purpose because of the fact that I don't think that you can ever really know for sure what your purpose is. This is one of the mysteries that's not really yours to answer. You don't know why you were born. You don't know what you came here to do. You can guess, but they're just guesses. And so I I like to tell this story about how one day I was in California, I was walking down the street and I saw a man in front of his storefront and he had a ladder and he was at the top of his ladder painting something on his store sign and the ladder was wavering 
And I walked over and I thought, I don't want that man to fall off the ladder. And so I just held the ladder. He didn't know I was there, but I just stood there for probably 15 minutes and just held the ladder because it just was an obvious thing to do in that moment. And then I could see he was coming down and I didn't want to make him real comfortable. So I walked away and he never saw me. And I walked away and I thought, what if that was the entire purpose of my life? I don't know. It could be like, what if every single other thing I've done was just killing time until the one purpose for which I was born, which was to hold that guy's ladder for 15 just minutes. Just keep that guy safe for 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. I don't know. It could be that. And even everything else, the books and the divorces and the life was all just like filling time until they needed me there at that moment. And after I had that realization, I really just relaxed and thought, sure, maybe your purpose has been fulfilled. So now... And since you'll never know what it is, what are you curious about? And why don't you just do that? And curiosity to me is such a, I think that the words passion, purpose, and balance actually bring fear. When you were talking about how to get on the other side of fear, I think those words encourage you to be afraid because they present a sense of lack and that you should be doing more, you should be producing more, you should be more successful. All of that stuff, I think, creates anxiety. But the word curiosity for me always makes me feel calm and it always makes me feel smiley because it's so gentle because you know passion is the thing that says you have to shave your head and get divorced and move to India and start a foundation and give a TED talk and <laughs> and curiosity just says I wonder what it would be like to take a pottery class for a day <laughs> you know and that's the stakes are so low and that's why it's actually achievable you know curiosity is this very very simple impulse that causes you to turn your head a quarter of an inch look at something a little more and be like well that's neat like what's that or that person's kind of cool what's that and and you can live a curiosity driven life that never sews itself together into something that looks like what the champions of success would tell you that a championship successful life looks like. But it will be a really good life and it will be a really nourishing life and it will be a life that looks like you. And that to me feels like the highest attainment. Sure does. And it's so like soothing to hear you say that. I literally grew up inside the opposite metric where not only were, you know, passion and purpose assumed that every one of us was born with this very teeny bullseye. Hope we find it. <laughs> good luck. Yeah, good um, luck. Good, find it. <laughs> Change um, the world. But, no pressure. Yeah. Just there's <laughs> one little way you're supposed to do it and just really hope it all works out that you find that. But of course, inside of it was baked in this idea of it being full of merit and that was honorable and that was noble. And you're right. It's like a vice. It's My a vice. throat is starting to, to close that. up just hearing you talk about <laughs> Totally. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I'm tickled thinking about the woman who's hearing you say that and has never heard a person offer that kind of permission to live a life of curiosity, which by the way, is chock full of meaning. You know, we have this binary idea here. I can hear the objection like, but where's the meaning? I'm like, oh, it's full of meaning, full of connection, full of joy, full of love, full of being a good neighbor. And, you know, that doesn't cancel that out at all. It just releases the pressure. There's a simpleness to it. You know, meaning is also a trap that we fall into. And, you know, meaning starts to just bring all the why questions. You know, why Why am I here? Why is this like this? Why did I have this loss? Why did I fail at that business? Why is this divorce happening? Why is he cheating on me? Why is she not listening to me? Why am I, you know, all of these whys. And it's taken me this long to learn that 
the word why is just, it's a trapdoor that opens up directly into hell. <laughs> like, Gosh. it is the portal right to hell. <laughs> straight to the belly of the beast. Straight. <laughs> like, right in there. It's like, wow, I asked a question that begins with why, and I looked up and I'm in hell. Wow. Amazing. You know, and, and I think meaning is one of those things too. Again, I'm much more comfortable as I'm getting older with the two words can't know. Can't know. Can't know what my meaning is. Can't know what my purpose is, if any. I'm not even sure that you're supposed to have one. I don't know. Can't know. These are like massive cosmic questions that are beyond me, but I can know what I'm curious about. I can know who I am fond of. My friend Martha Beck, who I love so much, says, if there is a secret to life, it is this. Find people that you like and do stuff with them. I love it. (laughs) so great. (laughs) You know, I mean, doesn't that seem like a much more generous universe than purpose, passion, meaning, and transformation? It sure does. Oh, I love that. Okay, guys, I wanted to take a little sec to sort of expand on something Liz is saying here, because it's an idea I've been exploring myself too these past few years. It's actually breathtaking how much our worlds expand when we decide that we are no longer going to guide our lives using a compass of fear. We decide to make decisions based on curiosity. Isn't that like such a great idea that we just talked about? Like curiosity, which is something I touched on in the introduction of Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire, which is out now. So here I'm going to read you an excerpt from what I wrote in the intro. I discovered the world is hungry for women who show up and tell the truth, unafraid and free, expanding to the very edges of who they were always meant to be. It's that woman who brings her gifts to bear on this earth, who takes ownership of her precious wiring and encourages her sisters to do likewise. That woman refuses to contort to a template, but rather occupies her own life as the recipient of God's unending favor, not a beggar at his door. This kind of woman also wants this freedom for everyone else. I cannot overstate this important correlation and how necessary it is right now. She craves a genuine world, a more honest and sincere community, relationships based in truth-telling, to be refreshing to a parched world. She is not afraid of herself, so she is unafraid of others. She is fierce. She is free. She is full of fire. I am so glad that Liz is here to talk us through what a woman who is fierce and free and full of fire looks like and looks like for the world, right? Let's get back to our conversation. So I can look back with really grateful eyes because I've had a life that's been filled to the brim with strong women almost my whole life, like my mom and my grandma and all my bonus moms and grandmas and my sisters. I've got two sisters that are just, you know, close as my own skin. And then I've got daughters and I have friends and colleagues that I just love so much. And I'm so thankful because I've learned so much from the women and I get to serve them too. And we just love each other so well. But All of them, when I think about the sort of cacophony of women who have really imprinted me, I realize how different they all are. Their journeys, their decisions, their choices, their worldviews, their experiences are wildly different from each other. So I do not have a type. 
do not have a certain type of woman that I fill my coffers with. I've got everything from the most conventional, well-behaved woman to the rule breaker, like we talked about earlier. But I'm curious when I think about you, who are some of the women, of course, I'm sure it's too long a list to list them all for both of us, but who are some of the women in your life, be it a long time ago or yesterday, I don't care, but that you would point to and say, these women matter to me, like these women really affected me or shaped the way that I am today? Just instantly thinking about teachers, you know, I'm such a student and I remain such a student. So I think of the the female teachers that I've had in the role of teacher. So that goes back to when I was nine years old. And I feel like I woke up intellectually at the age of nine because my fourth grade teacher, Ms. Carpenter, was so electrifying. She was the first feminist I ever met. She wrote on the first day of school, she wrote on the board, Ms. Carpenter. And then her very first lesson to us was to teach us the meaning of what MS stood for and what it meant. Oh, wow. That's crazy. And she just broke it down and she's like, you know, men have always had a prefix to their name that did not indicate whether they were married or not. And now women have one too. And I was like, whoa. Like I remember being nine and just being like, how about that? You know, like it just, like, I really feel like it's just such an awakening. And she and I are still friends and she's turning 80 this year, actually. And we've become friends over like, my, I'm still friends with my fourth grade teacher who also introduced me to Ernest Hemingway and to poetry. And she was such a fantastic educator. She didn't think there was anything we couldn't learn. So she taught us Latin and she taught us the names of the stars and she taught us the about plants. And we started a newspaper. We had a talent show. Like I did more in that one year than I probably did in the rest of my education until I was in college. She was extraordinary. And then I think of, so she was kind of my first electrifying teacher, but my most recent electrifying teacher is Byron Katie. Do you know her work? I don't. She's extraordinary. She teaches a kind of work that's called inquiry, or she also calls it the work. And it's a very simple, man, I feel like my life would have had a very different course if I'd known about this sooner, but it's a way of sitting in inquiry with your mind's most devastating, hurtful, anxiety-producing beliefs and asking those beliefs, sitting in meditation on those beliefs and asking those beliefs four simple questions. So you take something that you're believing either about yourself or about the world that's causing you anxiety and you do what she calls a worksheet on it. She always says, all war belongs on paper. So you bring it to the paper and then you ask these four questions. And the questions are, is it true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? How do you react when you believe that it's true? And who would you be without that belief? It is a life-changing game changer. So I recently took her, she teaches a nine-day school where she really deep dives into inquiry. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I remember somebody there saw me and they were like, I can't believe you're at this school in the front row taking notes. I'm like, why wouldn't I be? Yes. I will sit at the feet of any master who's got something for me. You know, Why would I miss it if there was somebody who had this kind of really life-changing information and this to teach? Yeah, I'll be right there in the front row. Pencil sharpened. Wow. <laughs> Just like I was on the first day of school. Is it too personal for me to ask what, if you had a specific belief you're putting on the altar of inquiry to pay attention to? Well, I can tell you one that was really heartbreaking. So my partner, Rhea, was dying when I was taking that class. And a belief that I was having was causing me enormous suffering was a belief about what my life would be like after she died. And you know how there's just one sentence that you can put in your mind and it will make you cry. So for me, the sentence was, 
I can't even tell you how much I used to love walking into rooms with Rhea on my arm. The pride that I felt and the excitement that I felt about going into new situations and having her with me. The joy I felt in introducing her to people, watching her spark with people, watching her engage. Like I loved walking through the world with her and I loved walking into the world with her. And so the sentence back then that was in me that was causing me so much grief was, you know, after Rhea dies, I will never be able to walk into a room with Rhea again. Because it was just me picturing myself alone and specifically entering into new situations without her. I was just devastating. So I did a worksheet on that. I, after Rhea dies, I will never be able to walk into a room with her again. Is that true? And can I absolutely know that it's true? And I won't lead you through the whole, how do I react when I believe that it's true? Devastated. Who would I be without that belief? Well, I won't walk you through the entire course of inquiry, but when I sat with it, and you just sit with it and you really ask the question, is it true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? And you let your mind lead you. That's what I love about it. It's self-inquiry. You let consciousness show you the answer. And the answer that I was shown was, I will never again walk into a room without her by my side. That's great. The exact opposite is true. I will never have to be without her. What I saw was that she would be braided into me in a way that I've actually now experienced since her death, where I feel like I've become this creature who's a kind of combination of half of myself and half of her. And yeah, it's true. There's no such thing as walking into a room alone anymore. So yeah, there's things like that. So it's, yeah, it's powerful. So yeah, mm -hmm. game changers. <laughs> right. What was her name again? Byron Katie. B-Y-R-O-N Katie, K-A-T-I. Okay. okay. We'll make sure everybody has access to that. Thank you for sharing that teacher with us. Like me, like all of us, you're stuck in the house, right? And you might be looking for some ways to just keep your body moving. So I just learned actually about a really great resource that might serve you perfectly here. Beachbody On Demand. Beachbody On Demand is an just a super easy to use streaming service that gives you immediate access to over 1,300 workouts which I love. I don't have the creativity to come up with this stuff on my own. They have workouts for every fitness level. So whether you're just looking for light weight training or cardio or yoga, even dance, how fun is that? Plus they have workouts as short as 10 minutes. And this is great news. My listeners can try it absolutely free. They have this class called the three week yoga retreat. So for 30 minutes a day for three weeks, they teach you the basics of yoga. And if ever there was a time I needed to tap in to that sort of inner zen, it is right this second. My listeners can get a free trial membership when you text for the love to 30 30 30. You'll get absolute full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts, the nutrition information and support, everything, totally free. So just text for the love to 30 30 30. Awesome. Okay, back to our show. I actually quoted you in Fierce. Not surprisingly, there's actually a lot of ways that I could have done this, but I have a chapter called I Am Strong in My Body. If I can point to one place where I'm still deeply working on integration, it's that. It's the way that I have always felt about my body and what I was told to feel about my body and how I was supposed to make her behave and look and all that. And it's just, I think this is a real common heartbreak for women. You may not even remember this, Liz, because you wrote it on 
Instagram. It's not even in a book. You just were probably having this beautiful thought and you sat down with your thumbs and you pecked it out on your phone and it like hit me between the eyes so hard that I screenshot it. I emailed it to myself. I emailed it to Brandon, my husband, in case I lost it. I don't know what to do, except I never, ever want to not have these words in front of me again. I'm going to read it to you because again, this was at least three years ago and it was just a post, but you wrote on Instagram, I've lost the dark and particularly female talent for self-criticism and for tearing myself down. It feels like sacrilege. My mouth can't force the hateful words and I can't bear it anymore to hear another woman demean, degrade, or diminish herself. It shocks my senses and hurts my heart. To witness a woman denying that she is beautiful is like watching someone set fire to an art museum. It's like watching an angel drink gasoline. It's like watching a phoenix rip off its wings. And you wrote that and it seared me. And I put that word for word quote into that chapter on bodies. And I just wonder if you can speak into this a little bit, because I'll just be very honest that I've told my readers too, that when I got to the end of fierce and having really worked incredibly deeply through sort of these various areas, this is the one that I still feel fragile on. This is the one that I still, I can see that I am not there and I can see that I have work to do and that I am not kind to my body yet in ways that she deserves. And so I just would love to hear you talk to us a little bit of that, that you wrote such profound, beautiful words and what you've learned from them. Well, first of all, like bathing you in mercy for the fact that you're not there yet. And also if you never get there, I love you anyway. (laughs) And I don't need you to, I don't need you to have this thing fixed. I also almost think that it might be too big for one person to fix. You know, this is a a massive ancient cultural disease and it's in the groundwater. It's in the drinking water of everybody. And, you know, just mercy to yourself if you find it hard. It's like lead poisoning. It's in your system, you know, and it's in the entire system. Like it's just nowhere not to be found. And so, you know, it might take a minute to detox from that and you might never fully do it. And that's all right too. Like transformation and healing are all well and good. But if you're holding up a measuring stick to yourself saying there's a place that I should be emotionally, spiritually, and I'm not there yet, that's also cruelty. Yes, you're right. So that is the first thing that I want to say. I think we have to somehow free ourselves one phoenix at a time. You know what it was that did it for me? It was being in love with a woman. So I've been only in relationships with men for my whole life. And then I fell in love with Rhea and I was in a sexual relationship with a woman for the first time. And I was on the other side of the conversation that I've been in for so much of my life where I stand in front of a mirror and say terrible things about myself. And my partner tries to convince me that those things aren't true. And I had to watch that because Rhea had a lot of body issues. I mean, one of the things that broke my heart was that when she went on chemo and radiation, she gained weight, like there's steroids and stuff that puff you up. She was so much more upset about that than she was with the fact that she was dying of cancer. Really? And I remember saying that, I called my friend Martha Beck, who was a friend of Rhea's too, and I said, how do I help her? Like, this is insanity. Like, she's 
she is so much more upset about the fact that she's gained 10 pounds than she's upset about the fact that she's got six months to live. And Martha said, have you been living under a rock, Liz? Do you not know how many more women would rather die than gain 10 pounds? Do you not know literally what's going on? There was never a sight in this entire world to me that was more beautiful physically than Rhea. So the disconnect, it wasn't like, I love you despite the fact that you look like this. Till the end of my days, I will never see a sight more beautiful than that woman. This is what I meant by sacrilege, to have to sit in the toxic, absolute opposite world of looking at somebody who is literally the most gorgeous thing you're ever going to see in your entire life and hearing that person believe that they are ugly or lacking broke me in a way where I couldn't do it anymore to myself. I can't play this game anymore. I just can't play this game anymore because something sees me the way I see Raya. You know, it might not be another person, but it's whatever made me sees me. And it's like, no, I can't violate that again. I just can't, you know, so that's what did it. It was the shock and awe and horror of, it would be like if Michelangelo's David came to life and was like, I'm such a cow. Right, it's just absurd. What are you talking about? And not only that, for me, that beautiful creature was dying. And then I knew that she was dying very soon. So not only do I have to listen to the most beautiful creature in the world say that she's ugly, I have to know that the most beautiful creature in the world is dying. And some of her last thoughts are going to be, I'm ugly. And I, I said, I can't live in this. I can't live. I, it just, it blasted me out of that entire world. And I've never been able to go back to it. I just, I just can't. <laughs> oh man, that has me flattened in my chair. And you know what, as you're speaking, I'm thinking of the little pockets of liberation I have from that destructive and hateful self-talk also comes it's a similar when I look at my daughters. So I've got a 14-year-old. I have a 19-year-old. Exquisite. I mean, just absolutely exquisite from head to toe, the both of them. And when I think about, when I try to imagine them speaking to themselves the way Can I do, I, I, it breaks my heart Do you see what I mean? Open. Yes, it's, I do. It, sacrilege is the word. It's like watching an art museum catch on fire. You know, like it's not okay. <laughs> It's not true. Thank you. Thank you it's for talking okay. about that. And it's, yeah. It's not a, a scorning or a condemnation that I feel if anyone's still doing that. It's a heartbreak. And it's a heartbreak that feels, that feels like a violation of beauty itself. I'd love to see our generation lay that down. Wouldn't that be something? I can't even really imagine a whole generation of women who refuse to hate themselves like everybody wants us to, refuse to hate our bodies. And But I just feel so incredibly powerful that I almost don't have imagination for what could live on the other side of that. We've never seen it. You know, it's never been done. There's no precedence for it. But I'd love to be a part of that too. So obviously, you know, we kind of talked about this at the beginning, but it's a weird time right now. And it's twilight zone time in our world. And I, our parents and grandparents experienced something like this probably after the war, during the war, you know, this big outside force that's outside of control yet affecting every single bit of our lives. And we've got this pandemic. And it reminds me of one of the ideas that you explored in City of Girls, which 
I think probably my favorite idea from City of Girls was you don't have to be a good girl to be a good person. I just want to tattoo that down my thigh because it goes to the core of what I was told to be and how to be. But also that this idea that life is both dangerous and fleeting, and there's no point in denying yourself pleasure or being anything other than what you are. Like that just strikes at the core of it all. I mean, you obviously wrote those words way before this moment, but they have a lot of relevance right now. I'm wondering your thoughts on pairing up some of the wisdom that you uncovered there in City of Girls with where we are finding ourselves right this minute. So there's another line in City of Girls where a man who Vivian loves very much says to her, the world ain't straight. The world ain't straight, Vivi. The world ain't straight. You grow up a certain way thinking that things are going to be a certain way, and it's not. The shock that I'm seeing rippling across the world right now at the beginning of this um, pandemic is the shock of people suddenly feeling like they're out of control. When what I see is you are never in control. (laughs) You are never in control. The world is doing what the world does. The world is just being itself. That's all it's doing, and it's doing it perfectly. Because what the world does is change every second, and that's what the world does, and that's what it's always done. It's just that we've managed through our technology and through our stubbornness and through our terror (laughs) to create little bubbles where we can pretend to not know that. (laughs) And we can pretend to forget that because it's so frightening. It's so frightening to think, how do you live in a world that changes every second? The greatest and most terrifying thing about human life is the awareness that literally anything can happen at literally any moment to literally anybody. That's the reality of life. You get shocked when you find it out in a big way, but it never isn't true, you know. And there's something that I wrote on Instagram recently saying, you know, nobody wants to surrender because nobody wants to lose control, but you never had control. All you had was anxiety. And so I feel like every single spiritual practice that I've done over my life, all the creative practices that I've done and all the stuff that I've learned in relationships and everything I've ever struggled through has been in preparation for me for this moment, which is, oh, it's surrender time. (laughs) Oh, it's surrender time. Oh, got it. Oh, right. I forgot that I don't drive this vehicle. And the paradox of surrender And I think anybody who's been through addiction knows that this is how sobriety begins. It's such a paradox. The great paradox of surrender is how relaxing it is. And you don't want to. You don't want to let go of control because of this misunderstanding that you have that says, if I can manage everything and get everything in order, then everything will be safe and everything will be okay. Of course. And when you drop that, all of a sudden, you drop your whole body into this state of tremendous release and tremendous relaxation. And my dear friend life (laughs) has spent its time with me teaching me that again and again and again and again. And it will teach me that as many times as it has to until I let go of the steering wheel that was never attached to the car. You know, (laughs) like I'm gripping this steering wheel thinking that I'm steering, but it's actually not attached to anything. But I'm holding (laughs) on to it. I'm like, I'm going to keep this family safe. But yeah. I'm going to keep right. these people. And it's I'm an illusion. Think. It's an illusion. And it's an understandable one. The other great paradoxes of human life is that there's no species on earth who has more anxiety than humans. We are totally anxiety driven. And that anxiety is all about our fear of the future. It's all about 
how terrified we are of change because we know that literally anything can happen to literally anybody at literally any moment. And that's fairly frightening. And so we spend our lives in anxiety, dreading that happening. But the paradox is that there's also no other species on earth who's actually better at change than we are because humans are so incredibly resourceful, so incredibly adaptive and so incredibly resilient. So we have resources, we have adaptation, we have resilience. And when change comes, what we've shown, what human history has shown is we adapt and we're really good at it. We hate the idea of it. And I actually think that the idea and the terror and the panic of it causes us more suffering than the actual thing that comes. That's right. Because <laughs> then we face it and just get busy. Then we're like, okay, well, this is the reality. Okay. So when the reality hits, people mobilize and they're really good. And you hear that in really intense moments. You hear that if you've ever listened to the recordings of the voicemail messages that people were leaving for their family members from the towers on September 11th when they knew that they were going to die. You listen to the tone of those voices and you hear what humanity can do. They're calm. They know what's important and they're taking the time to deliver that important piece of information. They have their wits about them. They're deeply able to be in that moment, even that moment. And I know that you've probably experienced this in your life in times of great emergency. When the emergency comes, you find the ability within you to rise to it. And if we only trusted that, we wouldn't have to be quite as terrified because then we would just know that, well, I don't know what's coming. I will never be able to know what's coming. I will never be able to control what's coming. But so far, everything that's ever hit me in my life, I've, when that moment asked me, to to show up for it, I did because I'm still here. That's right. <laughs> you know, We've survived I'm still here, every so day thus far. It's everything so far, and so I'm just going to relax into knowing that I will be told what to do in that instant. Which is something that I felt when Rhea was dying, and I felt and I released control. I remember sitting with her when she was very ill, and knowing that she could die literally at any minute, and feeling this awareness that. When there's a job for me, I will be told. And when that job is given to me, I'll do it. And until then, I don't do anything. And that, again, goes back to the pause that I spoke about earlier, when people are coming at me with all of their ideas and their initiatives, and we're going to change the world this way and that way. I'm like, slow down, because one of these things might be the thing that I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm going to need to get very still to feel and know, okay, this is actually the thing I'm going to respond to. I'm not going to just knee-jerk react, 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 react. And I'm going to trust that whenever I write in my journal to myself from love, love always says to me, when we've got something for you to do, you'll be notified. (laughs) You'll be the first to know. And until then, just go take a walk, do the hardest thing in the world, which is nothing. (laughs) That feels so relieving. feels like a nice relief because you're right. We know when the job is at hand. That part's not ambiguous. That part always presents itself pretty clearly. The rest of it's just wasted energy. It's the wasted fear, it wasted just, worry. It's panic. And it's the trust that I would love for people to cultivate is not a trust in the world to be safe and stable because the world has shown us many times that it's not. We're all grown ups here. So I'm not going to say like, trust that nobody will get hurt and everything. Like we know that that's not true. What you can trust is that you'll be told what to do when the time comes. And don't try to plan it too hard because you don't know what the catastrophe is. At any given moment, there are like 20 catastrophes that could mobilize against us, right? Just a few months ago, I was looking, I was in India, traveling, and I just wasn't paying much attention to the news. And I just glanced at the headlines 
And I started laughing because it was literally like five catastrophic headlines. It was like, Iran has nuclear weapon power now, major earthquake here in this place, coronavirus just started. And then there was asteroid comes very close to Earth's orbit. And I was like, yeah, this is just a Tuesday on Earth. You know, and that's not even taking into account all of the individual catastrophes that are going on in your personal life. You don't know which one of those is actually going to come to fruition and be the catastrophe. It turned out out of those, it turned out the latest one is coronavirus, but everyone is rising to meet it. Everyone is taking the actions that are necessary. And that's the sense that I'm growing into is just, and maybe it's just getting older of just feeling like, okay, I'll be told what to do and I'll do it. And if it's my time to die, I'll die. Because <laughs> that's also one of the things that can happen. <laughs> it can happen. And conversely, I have spent a great amount of time worrying, catastrophizing, planning for and trying to control outcomes of crises that never came. So what good is this? Like, yeah. what or good like is the this? crises came and you did all that preparation didn't turn out to be what you needed anyway, you know, like, yes, so, so it's, there's a sense of let's take this thing moment by moment by moment. And that maybe is the only way to do it, that you don't lose your entire life to the stranglehold of anxiety. Hands up if you love coffee more than some actual people in your life, right? You hear me? So you next level coffee lovers are going to love hearing about our newest sponsor that I'm super excited about. They're here to make all of our coffee drinking dreams come absolutely true. They're called Kameno Island Coffee. Literally, this is some of the freshest coffee you'll ever have because when you place an order for Kameno Island Coffee, they roast and ship your coffee within 48 hours. Plus, and this is just even the best, Kameno Island Coffee pays farmers over the fair trade rate for their beans. And they commit to giving 2% of all revenue back to the farmers. And get this, they have a coffee lovers membership that's super flexible, where you can pause or cancel orders literally whenever you want, which is awesome. So to sign up for your coffee lovers membership today, go to kamenoislandcoffee.com slash for the love, and you'll get $20 off your first shipment. And you will never run out of fabulous coffee again. So sign up for your Coffee Lovers membership at Kameno Island Coffee. That's C-A-M-A-N-O. KamenoIslandCoffee.com slash for the love for $20 off your first shipment today. Yay you. Okay, back to our show. All right, I'm going to ask you three final questions. These are little questions that we are kind of asking everybody in this fierce series and just kind of off the top of your head. So just whatever you sort of think of first. Here's the first one. What would you say, and it's maybe hard to pick, but you just pick one. What's the biggest lie you've stopped believing about yourself? That I'm unforgivable. I have just dragged myself behind the truck for for years, any time that I've ever hurt anybody, any time that I've ever made mistakes in my life, I am so hard on myself. I think that I'm not deserving of mercy is probably the biggest lie that I've almost entirely let go of. Every once in a while, you know, it still comes up. I'm like, wow, you're still there. Okay, I gotta love you away. But yeah, that would be mm, it. Thank you for saying that. But I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say that just that plainly. And that really served me today. How about this? What is the most freeing, most life-giving truth that you've learned about yourself? Kind of the flip side. My being can become a home for love itself. I have a very devout practice of writing letters to myself every day from love. And it's 
worked, <laughs> you know, and I really can be the thing I want to be. What I really want to be is I want to be love in every room that I step into so that if I'm in a room, I want it to be known that love is in the room. And if I'm the only one in the room, then clearly the one who needs to be loved is that one. And so that love will even be in a room if I'm alone in it. So yeah, that's, that's the big one. I love that so much. I will tell you sincerely that that is how I experience you. I do. That's how I experience you from afar, that that just walks right in the door with you. Whatever door it is, like whatever room it is, however like panicky and like grabby the room wants to be, that you walk in like with love with you. It's just, that's exactly how I experience your leadership and just your life. Here's the last question. Actually, the first time I ever heard this question, it was from one of my favorite spiritual practitioners and her name is Barbara Brown Taylor. And she asked this question and by all means, answer this however you want. This could be as earnest as the world, or it can be as silly as the day is long. So this is just completely up to you. But her question is, what is saving your life right now? Solitude. (laughs) Yeah. It means something that you just said that. It really does. That means something right now. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I am so grateful. Somebody asked me recently, what is your most prized possession? And I said, my quiet morning hours alone. I don't think I ever realized how much of that I need. I've always suspected that I was an introvert trapped in an extrovert's body. (laughs) But yeah, solitude. And especially now at this moment of crisis, I'm so grateful that I don't have a partner. I'm so grateful that I don't have anybody else who I need to be stabilizing right now, that I just can kind of wake up in my isolation, stabilize myself and ask her what she needs, you know, take care of her, make the decisions that need to be made. And then from there, I can give forth into the world. But yeah, solitude. <laughs> Boy, my 20-year-old self's like, what? <laughs> Us? Really? That's who we're going to grow up and be? It's like, yep, that's who we're going to grow up and be. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> okay. I just want to really say to you, Liz, that I am grateful for you sincerely. And thank you for being who you are and for how you have shown up in this world. And it has meant so much to me. And so you were a mentor and a teacher to me when I needed one and you still are. And so just thank you for being exactly who you are. And thank you for giving yourself to my community today. And I know this is going to serve them so well. And I just want you to know that I am 100% and forever team Liz (laughs) forever on your side and just like cheering for you. And I'm team Jen (laughs) and I'm team every single one of you out there. Me too. Team freedom, team love and team serenity. That's 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 who we we all work for. (laughs) Thank you, Liz. Thanks, Angel. Take care. (laughs) You too. Well, well, how do you like them apples? Isn't that a wonderful conversation to just get to listen into, to have that kind of leadership in our lives that is so generous, so kind-hearted, so gentle, so charitable. I just feel my blood pressure drop around Liz. 
I just feel it. All these things that I load up on my own shoulders, she just very gently takes them off one at a time. And I'm inspired yet again. I'm grateful to have such a wonderful voice on this series in support of Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire. And I hope it has served you well. I hope this series has served you well. I hope this book serves you well. It's just now out. I want to put it in your hands. I want to serve you and love you through these words and put these tools into place for you to kind of walk us all out into the sunshine. Honestly, that's it. It's everywhere books sold right now. And it's the book of my life definitely the book of my heart. It's everything I've ever like learned and experienced and discovered on a path to freedom, every single thing. And I want it for you too. So Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire is available everywhere. And I hope this whole series has been a joy to you. If you missed even a single episode of this series on the podcast, go back and pick it up because every one of them solid gold. And so are you podcast community. I'm so thankful that here we still are right in the middle of this weird world, but we can still come to you week after week and we love you. And it's just our joy to serve you well. And so on behalf of Laura, our producer and her amazing crew, and then Amanda and I on our side of things, we just love you. And it's our delight to bring you this show. And thank you for being such loyal, incredible listeners. See you next week.